0: This segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet. The winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence. Grip Golf Pride. All right, now joining me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Larry Rinker. Let me give you some background on Larry. He's from Stewart, Florida, and he's a part of a great golfing family. He and his brother Lee both played on the PGA Tour. His sister Lori played out on the LPGA Tour. She had a couple of wins on tour and regularly finished in the top 10 during the 80s and the 90s. Larry played his college golf at the University of Florida, where he took the individual medalist honors at the SEC Championship in 1978. And he was named All-SEC in 78 and 79 and an All-American in 78 as well. Turned pro in 1980. He won six times on the mini tour, and he teamed with his sister, Lori, to win the 1985 J.C. Penny Mixed Team Classic. Over the course of his tour career, he had two second-place finishes, two-thirds, and 26 top-ten finishes. He is now one of the top instructors in the game, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Larry, thanks for
1: coming on the show. My pleasure, Chris.
0: Larry, like I mentioned, you're, you come from a very talented family. You obviously had a great deal of success in the game. Your brother Lee going to Alabama and had three professional wins. Your sister Lori out on the LPGA Tour. Such tremendous talent and skill and passion for the game. Where did all of that come from?
1: I think it, our passion came from my father, Lane, and he's passed away five years ago, but he was the one that really instilled in us the game, the love of the game, and we worked hard, and he was the one that, you know, inspired us, and I think we were all pretty good players. I was able to get a full scholarship at the University of Florida. Lori played there. Lee got a scholarship to play at Alabama, and it was my dad who, and 1976, said, hey, let's go down and see Bob Tosky. And it was really perfect timing for me and ended up for Laurie and Lee that we met Bob Tosky at that point in our careers because we really needed to meet someone that had played the game at the highest level. And now in 1976, and then Lee and I went to spend three days with him in 79, he had been teaching for probably 15, 20 years at that point. And I can say myself teaching now for about 18 years that I think I've gone through the humps and the valleys of, of becoming a good teacher that, okay, I've, I've kind of figured it out, how what I need to do to help people. And we just met Bob at a great place, and he really taught us how to play golf, how to hook it, how to cut it, how to hit it low, how to hit it high. How do you hit it out of a buried lie? And he was just really inspirational, and he also inspired us as well as our father. And so just very blessed uh, that we had the dad we had and mom and, and also that we met Bob Toski at the time we did.
0: So, Larry, I'm imagining some tremendous Rinker family tournaments growing up. Was there a sibling rivalry? Did you guys kind of go head-to-head out on the golf course?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean I remember when I was kinda rolling in eighty four and five going home at Christmas and saying, I'll play Lee and Lori and my dad, I'll play all three of you. I'll play your I'll play your best ball because <laughs> I was playing pretty well. I was wow. pretty cocky, but but that was just a <laughs> kind of a I can't say that now. You know, it's funny, Lee I I really had Lee through about nineteen ninety four and then he He uh, played the Nike Tour that year and didn't quite make the top ten, but we both went to the Q School. He made it. I missed. And I had been exempt for 13 years in a row, and and now I'm not exempt, and Lee's exempt on tour. And really, I have to honestly say, he's pretty much had my clock the last 25 years. So (laughs) he's definitely... He's definitely been a better player than I have these last 25 years, uh, so, uh, and he's still a great player, and so pretty neat that uh, you know I'm very blessed to be part of a great golfing family.
0: Larry, I want to talk about your time at the University of Florida. You mentioned being on scholarship there, and you had some amazing talent on the teams when you were there. Plus. You played against some of the greats, some guys who went on to have tremendous PGA Tour careers. Talk about the SEC championship that you won and some of the other moments and some of the other battles that stick out to you from your time there.
1: When I was being recruited in uh, really spring of 75, the Gators were winning pretty much every tournament they played in. A couple guys named Andy Bean and Phil Hancock were just playing incredible golf. Andy won 11 times on tour. Phil won one. Really thought Phil might have a better career than Andy would on tour because Phil was a senior my freshman year, and I learned a lot from Phil. I I really think uh, there's nothing better than playing with better players and learning from them. And I certainly got that opportunity as a freshman at the University of Florida to get to play with Phil Hancock. I also got to play with Andy Bean because he was graduating that fall uh, quarter. So And I actually saw Andy a few days ago at the PNC Father Son at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club, Orlando, where I teach October through May. And uh, so, University of Florida was just what an incredible team in uh, 1975. uh, They they were ranked one or two going to NCAA. Andy broke his putter at NCAA's, and I think they finished eighth. But a, a gentleman named Fred Ridley. Was on that golf team. He, he wasn't even in the top five, but he wins the U.S. Amateur that year. And Fred now is chairman of Augusta National, and he's he's the new czar there. Great guy. But Fred, um, that's how tough the team was. That the guy that wins the U.S. Amateur isn't one of the five starters for Florida at the 1975 NCAA Championships, That's how good the team was. And now I'm a freshman the next fall, and a lot of the guys graduated. Fred graduated, Andy graduated, then Duncan, a lot of the guys. Hancock was really the last one left. So um, we had quite a few players that ended up playing the tour, Sam Trahan. Uh, We had some junior college transfers. My, uh, let's see, then my sophomore year, we had Bill Britton, who played the Tour and won. We had uh, Sam Trahan come in, who played the Tour. Uh, And then my senior year, Mark Calcavecchio was a freshman. We had really a deep team my senior year. We won a lot of tournaments that year. Uh, So a lot of great players. Rick Pearson had his card for a while. Terry Anton had his card. We had quite... Ken Green was a junior college transfer my senior year. Uh, Had won five times on the tour. So a lot of talent at University of Florida. We really were one of those teams like Wake or Oklahoma State or Houston. We really were kind of the top four teams for a lot of years as far as guys that ended up playing the tour and doing well. So I, I got to be a part of... Really, a great fraternity at University of Florida.
0: And Larry, as you talk about all of the great players that you had to be, you got to be around. I mean, there's a a rich history behind Gator Golf. I mean, Tommy Aaron played there, Frank Beard, totally, later yeah. on Chris DeMarco and Brian Gaming. I mean, it's it's like a who's who out there. Steve Melnick, you go back to Andy North. You and mentioned Cal, Doug Sanders. Right. Do you guys ever get together? I'm I'm imagining like a champions dinner at Augusta National. Do you guys come back together and have an opportunity to interact?
1: We just had this fall our 50th Gator Golf Day. I was not able to make it. A lot of guys from my, from the teams, I was there 75 through 79. So a lot of my compadres went back. I ended up not being able to make it, but I know Gary Koch was there. That's another name you haven't mentioned. It's Great player. I think he won five times on tour. Great announcer with NBC. So we have quite a history of great golf and PGA Tour winners. Bob Murphy is another name. (laughs) So uh, Gator Golf Day was kind of the thing that we did. I remember I was a freshman, and all these guys came back and played, and it was really the first time I got to meet Bob Murphy and some other Gator greats, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of history. You know, the Gator Nation, we're big, we're everywhere. (laughs) Indeed.
0: Uh, Larry, I want to talk about some of of, uh, your success that you had out on the PGA Tour, and you were right in the thick of things at the 1982 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. That's the year Watson famously chipped in from behind the green on 17 to snatch a a fifth U.S. Open win away from Jack Nicklaus, but you were there in second place after two rounds, ninth place going into the final round. Um, talk about what do you remember being in the in the, like I say in the thick of things during that tournament.
1: Well, a few things. Uh, number one, I had to go through both qualifyings. I was on tour, but I had I was in my first year on tour, and that tournament was really kind of the end of my first year on tour. I made the last spring school at. Uh, Disney at the Palm Course, Payne Stewart, Calcavecchia, Clarence Rose, Dennis Watson. They were some of the people that, uh, Clarence Rose, that went on to have long careers on the PGA Tour that were part of my class. That was back in the old days when we had the Monday qualifying. So making tour school just meant you were another smiling face on Monday trying to get a spot in the term, the old top 60 from the previous year got you in the top 125 didn't start until 1983 so we're still in the old thing there so getting in the u.s open i had to go through both qualifiers and for some reason i thought i was going to win the u.s open at pebble Beach. so all my training i I was a jogger doing push-ups sit-ups this was all before we had trucks rolling on the tour and trainers and Boy, it's it's really come full circle now some, wow, 37 years later from 82. But I just kept, I had this intention, I was going to win the U.S. Open. So I made the uh, sectionals, and then I made the regionals. And so I got there, and I did something on Friday morning at the U.S. Open I'd never done before. I shot 74 the first day. I was four back. If I miss the cut, i got to somehow get my way to New York and play in the Monday qualifier on Monday and get there to play a practice round on Sunday afternoon because the next tournament was at Westchester. And I did something I'd never done. I called the airlines and said, I'm booking my flight for Monday because I'm winning the U.S. Open. And that day, I went out. And I had about an eight-footer for par on one. And I said, I'm winning the Open. I made it. I went Eagle, Birdie, Birdie. I finished Birdie, Birdie, Birdie that day to shoot 67, which was the low round of the Open. Lanny Watkins shot 67 on Sunday. He and I had the low rounds that year at the Open. That pole vaulted me into second place and the final pairing on Saturday, which was kind of my coming-out party kind of fun a lot of people remember that but as a teacher now it really talks about this whole idea of intention and commitment i was intending for months leading up into that that i was going to win the u.s open and then when it came that morning before that second round i was still committed to that committed to the point where i made that phone call because if i missed the cut and got a change my flight it's going to cost me some money so and tour players are cheap you know we we like getting things for free so so uh hey we we wouldn't do something like that like i said i've never done it before and i just had such a commitment and it's interesting now looking back i've been a pro for 40 years now and looking back at that that I probably had the best intention and commitment I'd ever had uh up to that point. And uh just I had one of my greatest rounds I ever had that Friday at Pebble Beach and I was able to on Saturday um, I played I started off pretty well. Bottom line ended up Sunday. I made a double bogey on fourteen I buried it in the front bunker, which was easy to do. Blake got it up, o- hit it over the green from there. Tough shot, made double. Came off the green, and Larry Guest, who was the sports editor for the Orlando Sentinel, said, "Larry, if you birdie two of the last four holes, you can qualify for the Masters, because the Masters was top 16 at the U.S. Open in 1982." I said, "Larry, I just made double." He's like, "You birdie three of the last four. Well, I birdied 15, I birdied 16, I hit it 4 feet at 17 where Watson chipped in. I had a longer putt for par, it was so fast. I made it, and I had about a 4 or 5 footer for par in 18. I said, I'm not going to be denied this week. I made that, and I went back to where I was staying, and I ended up finishing tied for 15th, which not only got me in the Masters in 1983, but also got me in the 1983 U.S. Open at Oakmont. So it was a very memorable place. Uh, Pebble Beach is very dear to my heart.
0: So, Larry, that sort of begs the question, as you talk about you were intending to win the Open, why? What was it about the Open or what was it that you had going on, you know, either in your game or or mentally that said, I'm going to win this thing?
1: I never played a golf course before like Pebble Beach where The architect and the way the golf course was, I saw every shot. Everybody's played golf courses where there's going to be a tee shot where you stand up on it, and it just feels awkward. You just don't feel it. You've got to somehow pick a target and make a swing at that, but you don't really visualize the shot. Pebble Beach, I saw every shot, just the way it was laid out there, right there along Stillwater Cove. There in the Del Monte Forest. I just saw every shot. First time I played it in nineteen eighty one, when Nathaniel Crosby invited me to play for the first time. i just missed my card by a shot in the school in nineteen eighty that Freddie Couples and Marco Mir had made. I shot seventy eight the first day with thirty nine putts, somehow came back and almost made it, missed by one. And then Nathaniel, who's my friend, invited me to play, and I got to play Pebble Beach with Bruce Fleischer in a practice round in 1981, and I saw it for the first time, and it was the most magical place. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been, and I still say that. Some 38 years later, I've been blessed to go there well over 30 times. I got over 60 rounds at Pebble Beach and still my favorite place on the earth.
0: Larry, 10 years later, at the 1992 Open Championship of Muirfield, you're in the mix again, thanks to opening rounds of 69 and 68. That's the week Nick Faldo would go on to win. But uh, you and another good friend of the show, Donnie Hammond, both in the mix that week. It was uh, the best finish you had, I believe, in an Open Championship. Talk about what you remember about that week.
1: Well, I, I got an invitation to play in the Scottish Open the week before. I'd done that in 89. And i missed the cut by one shot. So in those days, all the players rode a bus. So I remember riding a bus. I remember I had nowhere in a car. I didn't even know where I was staying. And I rode from Scottish Open at Glen Eagles down to Muirfield and stayed at the Marine Hotel there. And it was 60 pounds a night for, like, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. It then went to 180 pounds, which at the time, the the rate was 2 to 1. I never paid $360 a night for a hotel room (laughs) at that point. Barely done that in New York City, even today. But I somehow was low open qualifier in the qualifying in 45-mile-an-hour winds. Donnie and I were staying together. I actually didn't even have a place to stay Monday night when I was playing. And no rent-a-car. <laughs> so, wow. I, uh, we, uh, Donnie had a friend at this place called the Quarter Deck, and he said, hey, i got a place for you guys to stay. My luggage was in storage at the Marine Hotel, and so I had a place to lay my head down on Monday night, and I was in the Open Championship again. And Donnie and I had a great week. Donnie finished fifth. I finished a shot behind him. I finished par bogey which seventeen was playing straight down win. That's where John Cook missed two footer. Looked like he was gonna win the tournament. He missed a two footer for Birdie and bogeyed eighteen. Faldo Birdie played the last four two under to beat Cookie by a shot. And uh it was my best finish in a major. Donnie obviously had a great week too. So I just remember an unbelievable week I got to play with Jose Maria Lothabal on Saturday and Ian Woosnam on Sunday. The stands were full, and there's nothing like the fans in an open championship and playing over there. It's so creative. The ground's hard. There's so many other shots you can play that you might not play here in America with the softer conditions and the higher rough. So um, I got to play in three open championships and. You know, very blessed and had a great one there at uh, at Muirfield in 92.
0: Larry, before I let you go, i got to get a playing lesson for our listeners. And uh, our mutual friend, Tom Patry has drilled into my head over the years, short game, short game, short game. And you did a video, I believe, earlier this year about why it's important on short chip shots to take the club straight back, and straight through and not taking it back on the inside. Do you mind sharing that tip?
1: It's funny you say that because I just finished a two day golf school with a gentleman named Bill, and that was a, one of the three things I told him on a short game, especially with his shorter shots. So when you have a shorter swing, if you take the club to the inside, you do not have a long enough swing to get the club back on plane. And if the club is coming from under the plane into the ball, you're going to be shallow. And shallow means you're going to hit the ground behind the ball. And so if you're shallow, there's really not a happy ending because if you hit the ground behind the ball, you can chunk it, blade it, nothing good happens. So getting him to have weight more in his front foot, which was his number one thing, Go straighter back and through was number two, and in his, his case, he also what I see a lot of he's a 21 handicapper, and what I see with higher handicap players is they tend to take the club too far back for the shot they have, and then they decel coming on the ball. So his third thing was one feeling one third back, two thirds through, and I just did his video, and I noticed when he when I looked at it, his club went the same distance back and through thinking one-third and two-thirds. But it's very important to understand if you're steep or shallow in short game. Steep means you have a steep angle of attack or the sharp leading edge of a sand wedge is digging into the ground. We watched at the Hero World Challenge, which was last week, Tiger chucked 11 shots. I believe it was four years ago. might have been five. At Alworth, he was too steep. All you got to do is hit a half inch behind the ball and you're too steep and you're dead because that sharp leading edge is going to chunk it. You're going right into the earth. You want to use the bounce of the club and use a sand wedge. So Tiger was too steep. Bill today was too shallow. And so if you can figure out if you're too steep or too shallow, you can actually fix yourself. So straighter back is going to make you not shallow. Inside makes you too shallow. Your weight in your front foot makes you steeper, and you get shallow with the release of your trail arm in hand. So you want to be neutral. You want your steeps and shallows to line up. If you have a steep, you have a shallow. You're neutral. That's what you want. The club head on plane is neutral. The club head over the top is steep. And like Bill today, he was under the plane, so he was too shallow. And he didn't have enough weight in his front foot. So truthfully, you want to be steep with your big muscles, with your chest and your lower body. That's getting that weight in your left or front foot for right-handed golfer. And then you want to be shallow with the throwing motion of your right hand. Unfortunately, there's a camp out there, and we got top 20 players in the world doing this, where they're pulling, turning, and trying to keep space open. I can tell you from personal experience and teaching experience, that is not reliable. What's reliable is letting the right arm and hand throw naturally like you would do throwing a baseball. So if you if you wonder what you need to do, tee a ball up, put it forward in your stance, and hit shots one-handed with your trail hand. And get the feel of what that is when you have both hands on, and that's going to help you learn how to hit pitch shots with your sandwich.
0: Larry, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can listen to your show and also follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media.
1: Well, thanks, Chris. I'm very blessed. I've, I'm now, it's been six years I've had a radio show on Series XM, PGA Tour Radio, Series 208, XM 92. My show is live Saturday and Sundays, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. You can follow me on uh, Twitter. At Larry Rinker, Instagram at Larry Rinker Golf, and on Facebook at Larry Rinker Golf. My website is LarryRinker.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter there. I do a video tip every month, and if you go to my YouTube page, just Google Larry Rinker, you can find my YouTube page. I have over 100 videos there, and uh, really enjoy being with you tonight, Chris, and uh Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Well, Larry, it's been a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. I hope you'll uh, come back and join me again sometime. Uh, There's so much more to get into about your career and then obviously the instruction that you do. It's It's been fantastic. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you
1: and your family. Well, same to you. Merry Christmas to you and your fans out there. All the best. I appreciate you, Larry. Take care. That's
0: a great Larry Rinker, folks. Larry Rinker Golf. Go online and check that out and give him a follow both on Instagram and on uh, and on Twitter. And like he said, check out his YouTube page. There's a lot of great videos. Larry's been putting them up for years. It's fantastic stuff. And uh, to his point, you go back and you look at the great career he had at the University of Florida and all the great players he got to play with. Fred Ridley, right, as he talked about, wasn't good enough to make the top four at the University of Florida, wins the U.S. Amateur. And now he is the
1: chairman of the Augusta National Club. Great stuff. I hope I get the opportunity to have Larry back on the show again real soon.